Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. Now, Lent is a time where we reflect on the victory um, that Jesus uh, has overcome sin, death, uh, overcome darkness. And it's a season where we kind of reflect on our relationship with God, on our relationship with others. We kind of take some inventory and see, is there any sin in our life that we need to deal with? It's also been a time of fasting and prayer. And so it's, it's this idea that we would empty ourselves that we might be filled with all that God has for us. And so today I want to speak to you from this idea of don't waste your wilderness. Bless you. Don't waste your wilderness. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much, God. I know that uh, we have been crying out for this reality, Lord. Here we don't rely on gifting but anointing. God, it's your anointing that breaks the yoke of bondage. Um, and I pray that, God, that as we open up your word, that you would speak to our hearts, God. Lord, we even just kind of posture our hearts right now with, um, with, with receiving uh, and open uh, hands, if you would, to say, Lord, anything that you want to place on the inside of us, anything you want to reveal to us, Lord, would you do it? And, Lord, we surrender to you afresh and new this morning. Speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, uh, so good to be in the house this morning. Uh, about a week ago, uh, we, we've been doing some remodeling in the church with our kids' rooms and different things like that. And so I was staying here a little bit later, and I left my key. And so I told Jackie, I said, hey, babe, I'm going to be home a little bit late. I left my key. Um, she said, no problem. Just give me a call. I'll open the door when you get home. So it was about 1030 at night. I got home and uh, went to the front door and knocked and waited a couple of minutes. No sign. So then I called like I was supposed to. I called and ended up going to voicemail. So I thought, okay, no big deal. She, she may, maybe she just jumped in the shower. She's getting out. I, I don't know. So I knock harder. No answer. I call again like three times. No answer. So then I start pounding on windows. Because you think that the vibration is a little bit louder, right? So doom, doom, doom. No response. So I call again about another two or three times, and I was like, this girl fell asleep. <laughs> now, I could go around the back side of my house to our bedroom window, but I have to cut through my neighbor's yard, and I don't want to be that guy at 1030, and I'm like, hey, guys, cutting through, left my key, right? So I call again, and I'm, I'm losing it at this point. Fifteen minutes has gone by, and I'm outside. It's freezing. I'm wandering and wondering. I went back to my car. I was like, why am I sitting in my car? Let, let me go back to the door, start to pound in some more. And so just, just so, you know, many of you guys may think we live on this cloud somewhere as pastors. But let me show you my text to Jackie. Um, I said, babe, can you please open the door? And then this one is like, really? Like, are you serious? This is the next one. I'm really tired and upset. Taking me to another level. Then it's like, you left me hanging. I can't believe this. <laughs> 30 minutes goes by. Outside in the cold. Hungry. So I did what any man would do at 11 o'clock at night. I said, man, I'm not going to waste my wilderness. I'm going to In-N-Out. So <laughs> sure enough, man, I went to In-N-Out, got a burger, some fries, milkshake, came back home, still locked out. Fifty minutes later, she opens the door. Hey, babe, sorry I fell asleep. 
and walked back into the room. I'm like, that's all I get? You left me outside for almost an hour. But, but it, here, here's the reality is that you and I are going to find ourselves in, in wilderness moments. We're going to find ourselves wandering and wondering sometimes. We're going to find our, ourselves in desert places as a result of our failure or somebody else's. And it's, and it's those seasons where you feel like you're knocking and nothing's opening. That's a wilderness season. That's a desert season. Where it feels like breakthrough is so far from reality. It's a place of discouragement. It's a place of disappointment. And it doesn't even matter how successful you are. We're all going to go through wilderness seasons, desert moments. For example, let me show you a, a quick picture. Coca-Cola, they decided in 1983 that they were going to come out with this new Coke. Now, if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? But they're creative and innovative, and somebody on their team says, we need to change the whole formula. Well, their stockholders weren't excited about that. Um, the customers boycotted, and so they had a seven-month wilderness financial experience. Until they came to their senses and realized, no, 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 we have to go back to Coca-Cola Classic. So we, we all experience failure on different levels. I think the difficult thing is when we fail after we've really tried. That's like the worst. It's like you, you went all in and you're really trying and it's not working out. And I, I don't think our, our culture makes it any easier because everything is results-oriented, isn't it? Everything's based on performance. And when things don't go our way, it's so easy to find ourselves crippled with discouragement, with doubt, um, to find ourselves crippled uh, with despair, and even crushed and stuck in fear at the hopes or possibility of taking any steps forward. It can be tough. It just, depends on, it just depends on what it is. Some failures may not feel that bad. Some may feel huge. Could be from you. Could be from somebody else. But what if I told you that failure doesn't have to be fatal? What if I told you that failure is not the end of the road but could be the beginning of a brand new road? If you're taking notes, jot this down. See, failure isn't fatal. It's just forced growth. It's just you find yourself in a moment where you're forced to grow. You're forced to deal with some mistakes. You're forced to deal with some pain. You're forced to deal with a desert or a wilderness season. And it's a great opportunity for growth. Like if I told you that success and failure sometimes travel the same road, you might think I'm crazy. But a lot of the successes that we enjoy today were a result of many failures. For example, the Bible app on your phone right now has over a billion downloads. But that came after a multiplicity of failures of trying to create a Bible website. And after attempt, after attempt, after attempt, finally one of them said, well, what if we did this app thing? And it led to over a billion downloads all across the world. I, I love what uh, Winston Churchill said. He, said. he said, success is being able to go from failure to failure to failure without a loss of enthusiasm. <laughs> it's like, man, I'm so pumped I failed today. Come on, everybody, let me shout it from the rooftop on Instagram. I failed. Because it's an opportunity to grow. We, we, we've learned some things. A, a man by the name of John Stott, he invented the polio vaccine. It took him 200 tries to nail it, to finally nail the vaccine. On his 201st try, he finally did it. When he was interviewed, they said, John Stott, how does it feel to have failed 200 times? 
He said, oh, my mom taught me better than that. He said, I didn't fail 200 times. I just figured out 200 ways not to make polio vaccine. <laughs> but, but aren't you great he didn't stop? Aren't you great he didn't stop on 12 or 60 or 90 or even 200? That would have been a good place to stop on an even number. 200 is a great place to give up. But he kept going. You see, our wilderness moments don't have to be wasted. God has never intended any season in your life to be wasted. And, and failure, whether it's from you or somebody else, does not have to be fatal. God is a God that's able to bring life out of death. That's what we're headed into this Easter season, that beautiful reality. You know, our life verse here at Fountain is Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, where, where God says, I'll make streams in the wilderness and rivers in the wasteland. Like God is able to bring life. He's able to bring water. He's able to bring substance from dry and desert places. Last time I checked, Moses struck a rock, and God was able to make water come from it. But how do, we, how do we navigate in these desert seasons, or how we navigate in these desert seasons, in these wilderness moments, will determine whether or not we're going to waste it or not. And I think Moses is a great example of this. I think Moses kind of sets the tone um, this particular season in his life and, and, and we, we, we can learn how to navigate. What do we do when we're in a wilderness season? So I'm going to give you a context. It's in video form. So I just want you to sit back and check it out. This story began several thousand years ago, and it began with a promise from God to Abraham that he would make his offspring more numerous than the stars in the sky, a great nation who would one day dwell in the promised land. More than 400 years passed, and Abraham's descendants had not seen this promise fulfilled. Instead, the Israelites lived as foreigners in the land of Egypt. Fearing that the Hebrews would grow into a mighty nation and overtake them, the Pharaoh of Egypt forced them to work as slaves. But Israel continued to grow. In response, the Egyptians increased their oppression of God's people and Pharaoh gave a terrible decree. Every son born to the Hebrews would be thrown into the river. But a Levite couple defied this order, trusting God's will for their son's life. And God did have a plan for this child. Pharaoh's daughter found the baby and took pity on him. She named him Moses because he was drawn out of the water. As Moses grew older and saw the suffering of his people, anger burned within him. When he witnessed an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Moses killed the man and fled Egypt to hide in the desert. Years passed, and Moses made a new life for himself in Midian. So Moses is going to head towards Midian. He killed an Egyptian, and, you know, he thought he was doing the right thing. He was passionate. I mean, 400 years of slavery is a long time. That would take us back to the 1500s, just to kind of put things in perspective. And, and Moses sees an Egyptian harming a Hebrew, and, and he takes it into his own hand. He kills the Egyptian, buries him in the sand, and tries to hide. Moses knew that as he was burying that man, that that was an epic failure. Like, he blew it. And, and it really came to light when two Hebrews were fighting the next day or uh, several days after. And he said, hey, what are you guys doing? And they rejected Moses. You would think they would be encouraged that he stood up for them. But they said, what are you going to do? Kill us like you did that Egyptian? 
And so we knew that the secret had got out. Pharaoh wanted to kill him. His own people that he was trying to protect rejected him. And now he's fleeing for his life to Midian. And it only gets worse. That's a bad day. That's a rough day. And it gets even worse because he, he comes upon this well where he sees these ladies and he rescues them from some mean shepherds. They invite them back to their home where their father Jethro was. Moses ends up marrying one of those ladies. Jethro becomes his father-in-law. And then he goes to work for his father-in-law. It's getting worse. Brunch. Um, and so now Moses here is, is a shepherd. He's, he's tending his father-in-law's sheep. The, the one who was used to be both in, mighty in word and in deed in the palace raised in Egypt is now a shepherd on the backside of the wilderness, which would be for about 40 years he would be there. And that's where we pick up in the text. Exodus chapter 3 says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness. Get, just get that in your mind, the far side. How many of you guys know God meets us even in the far side of the wilderness? He says, and he came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There an angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it was not consumed. Now the burning bush is a great picture of the people of Israel. Pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. That they would, they would have to go through so much uh, tumultuous pain. Uh, Moses is looking now at his people 400 years in slavery. But the burning bush is a great picture that God is a God of his promise. God is a God of his covenant. God is a God of his, of his word that no matter what the people of Israel face, that they would not be wiped out. They would not be consumed. But it's also a great picture for you and I and for Moses that God still uses fragile and bitter, brittle things to accomplish his glory. Like God still uses fragile Brittle things like a desert bush, which is so frail, it's so dry, it's so brittle. And what does he do? He, he takes our lives and he consumes us with himself, with a fire from on high, yet we're not consumed, but yet sent out to be used for his glory. Like God still uses broken things. God still uses brittle people. And so God was getting ready to use Moses in this light. And, and there's some things that we see from Moses' life in this season that I believe can help us navigate through some of our desert times, through some of our failures, through some of our wildernesses, whether it was caused by us or somebody else. If we would just lean in and take heed, I believe that God will speak to us. And the first one is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Is that when we're in the desert, we need to look for God in the desert. You know, I think that it's really easy when you're in a desert time, in a wilderness moment, it's easy to look for everything else. It's easy to look at everything else, right? All of your disappointment, let me just focus on that. All of what you don't have, all that's been wasted, it's so easy to focus on how dry everything is. It's so easy to focus on your pain, on your circumstance, on your failure. But it can be really hard to look for God in those moments. Because truthfully, we don't really want to, right? It's kind of like, God, some of us may even believe, man, it's your fault I'm in this mess. And so it can be really hard to see God in the desert. So we have to be intentional to look for him. And God shows up in strange and mysterious places. Look what it says. 
It goes on to say that Moses said, this is amazing, he said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord, listen to this, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him. James says it like this, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. That when Moses came to take a closer look, God began to call to him. Sometimes God is just waiting for us to come close so he can speak to us. Can I just tell you that God wants, God is not trying to, um, he's not trying to hide from you in the desert. There may be moments where you can't really see him, you can't really feel him. There's going to be moments where, man, it just feels like God is absent. But can I just tell you that God longs to speak to you in the desert. And sometimes even when God is not speaking or it appears that he's not speaking, he is. But as Moses begins to draw near to God, God begins to call out to him. And it's strange. It's mysterious. Moses says, man, I got I to gotta lean into this. And sometimes that's the way God shows up in the desert. Right? It may not be through a burning bush, but it may be through some mysterious circumstances and some very practical ones. Like you guys remember a year and a half ago, there was a lady in our church that had come to me, and she said, man, Pastor Matt, my friend has been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer. Some of you guys may remember the story. And so we were praying for her right outside of this door. The lady has never stepped foot in our church. Well, later that evening, we went out to dinner. We went out to Tippanyaki, you know, where they cook in front of you, and you sit down with other people in the group. Well, long story short, um, their, uh, this family sat with our family, and we started striking up a conversation Lo and behold, she found out that I was the pastor here. She said, oh, my goodness, my friend goes to that church. I am the woman with cancer that you've been praying for. And so we stand up in the middle of Tippanyaki. She's crying. We're just like, what is going on? We start praying. Listen, I know I'm not that hot, but that day I was a burning bush. I was a burning bush for that woman, that God met her in the middle of her desert in a strange and a mysterious way that got her attention. And she says, man, I need to take in, I need to lean into this. I need to take a closer look. And we started to develop a relationship. And then she said, when she died, that she wanted me to do her funeral. And she passed away this last year. And I got to preach the gospel to over 700 people. You just, you just never know. Just come in and take a closer look. you you got to be on the lookout. It would have been really easy to sit at that table and just not have a conversation, but you never know. And she's in the middle of her wilderness. As I was studying for, for this message, I was torn. I didn't know if I wanted to come out of Moses in the wilderness or Jesus in the wilderness. And literally, like, this is what preachers go through. You may think that we just get up here and kind of, but no, there's a lot of work. There's a lot of labor. I mean, there's moments you wake up on Monday like, I got to do it all over again. Oh, Lord, give me something. It's hard work. And I remember I was sitting at, my, I was sitting at the dining room table, and I'm just like, Lord, I don't know which way to go. Like, just speak to me. Show me right. And my two-year-old daughter walks into the room. Jackie's right by the table. She has her little Bible. She reaches up to Jackie, and she says, Moses. I was like, what'd you say? I know where I'm going. Burning bush. When I'm wondering and I'm wandering, look for God. It would have been so easy for me to just be like, oh, that's cute. But I was like, no, somebody needs to hear this today. 
Somebody needs to hear this. God will appear in strange and mysterious ways. Look for God in the desert. Move closer to him. The temptation is to pull away from God. But can I just tell you, listen, you cannot draw close to that which you're not looking for. So, man, look for God in the desert. The second thing that we see is this. If you're taking notes, jot this down. Let the desert refine you. It doesn't have to destroy you. The desert's always meant to develop you. Let the desert refine you. At this time, Moses is listening to the Lord, and God is telling him, listen, I've heard the cry of my people, Moses. My heart's breaking, and I want to use you as the instrument of deliverance. And Moses is like, what? Are you serious? Look what Moses says. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear? Before Pharaoh, who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Moses is like, who am I? This is a very different Moses than the Moses in chapter 2. The Moses in chapter 2 was like, let me get this Egyptian. Let me show him how we get this done. Let me show you how we do things here in Egypt. All right, he was mighty in word. He was mighty in deed. But now he's been in the wilderness for some time, for a long time, for 40 years. And there's been some things that have been refined. A lot of people think that this is a negative thing for Moses, but this isn't a negative thing, ladies and gentlemen. There was some brokenness that Moses had to work through as a result of all of this stuff. But God needed him to come to the end of himself if he was going to be used the way God wanted to use him. Moses wasn't going to be able to be that same man that he was in Egypt. That man needed to die. That God would rule and reign in his life. Moses said, man, who, who am I? He was refined in the wilderness over these 40 years. I, I love what Peter says. Peter says it like this. He says, in all of this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. But these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. The Bible speaks of the Lord as being a, a, a refiner's fire. Now, a refiner's fire is a lot different than a forest fire. It, it's very intentional as, you know, the, the one working with gold is, is putting the fire to the gold to burn out the impurities or the silver. So that it can, it can manifest and, and, and take um, shape in its purest form. It's, it's a very intentional fire. A forest fire is reckless and wild, but a refiner's fire is very intentional. Uh, when, when I was younger, I got a tattoo right here. It was probably like three inches tall and like four inches wide. None of you guys can see it anymore because it's gone. So I went through a program, and uh, they, they, they burnt it off. They lasered my tattoo off. And even though it was such a small little space. It took about a year and a half. Why? Because it was very strategic. It was very intentional about only hitting the spots that have been contaminated with ink. And, and if it went too fast, then it would scar, it would blister, it would mess up my whole arm. But, but there's no scarring. There's, you know, the, you can see just, just a faint little glimpse uh, if you look really, really close. But, but it, was, it was very intentional just to remove the impurities. That's a refiner's fire. And so, so here Moses is spending 40 years in the wilderness, and here are some of the things that God began to work out of him that I believe that God wants to work out of us and also shape us more and more into his image by refining us in these particular areas. And the first one is this. The first one is humility. Humility. 
Like, really think about it. Moses is about to be used, unlike nobody else in history. I mean, think about it. This guy is going to be the guy that's going to lead two to three million people out of slavery that's lasted 400 years. He's going to be the instrument that God uses to call ten plagues down upon Egypt. The guy that's going to part the Red Sea. The guy that's going to call water from a rock. The guy that's going to receive the Ten Commandments and build the tabernacle. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big resume. And God's like, I want to use you greatly. But I'm going to have to refine humility in you in the wilderness. Because if we're going to be used greatly by God, it requires great humility in life. It just does. <laughs> and humility a lot of times, it's hard to learn in the palace. It's hard to learn in the good seasons. That's why humility, I think, is so hard for God to develop on the inside of us. Because many times humility comes through pain. Like, what, what if we took a different approach that every time somebody would hurt us, every time somebody betrayed us, every time even maybe we failed and made a mistake, what if we invited the Lord in those moments to work humility on the inside of us? What if we just paused and said, Lord, I'm hurting right now, but would you work humility in my heart? Would you let humility have its perfect work in me? Because I know that you oppose the the proud, like Carrie said last week, but you give grace to the humble. God, I, I need a lot of your grace. So would you work it in me? How would our responses be different? All of a sudden, it would posture us in such a way that would say, listen, man, you just roasted me. I'm, I'm hurt, and that's not okay, and we need to talk about that. Oh, but what God is about to do in me, because I want to defend myself. I want to lash out at you. I want to hurt you, but I'm going to let humility have its perfect work on the inside of me. Come on, you can't learn humility in the palace. palace. You learn humility in the desert. And we know that with Moses that it stuck because in Numbers chapter 12, verse 3, it says that Moses was the most humblest guy out of all of them. Even though Moses probably wrote that. <laughs> it's, uh, he was letting everybody know it worked. But, but Moses was also refined in the desert. God was refining him and teaching him, number two, is how to serve. How to serve. Like, you got to understand, in Egypt, Moses was the man. He was the guy. But Hebrews chapter 3, verse 5 says that Moses was faithful as a servant. Where do you learn to serve like that? It's not in the palace. You, you, don't, you don't learn to serve as people are waiting on you. That's not where you learn. I mean, come on. You don't really know what it's like to serve until you're treated like a servant. Again, it's one of, those, one of those necessary, necessary things to happen in our life. But a lot of times they, it does, the, the lesson doesn't come from the palace. It comes from the desert of learning how to serve. Moses was the man in Egypt. In Midian, nobody knew him. Who are you? Moses. Who? It's like a post-Christian world. Even today in our area, it's like, hey, I'm preaching on Moses today. Who? Moses, right? And so he needed to learn to serve in obscurity because Moses took on the job of a shepherd underneath his father-in-law Jethro. Now, he wasn't a rancher. He was a shepherd. Big difference. Ranchers are kind of leading the whole deal. Moses was with the sheep on the far side of the wilderness, gone for days, sometimes weeks at a time as they would graze, smelly, stubborn, 
rebellious, ridiculous sheep. And nobody saw him care for them. It was complete obscurity. You know, the majority of people that God has used greatly have had seasons of obscurity where they learn to serve when nobody's watching, where they learn to, to, to clean a stable before they had a stage. Because if you, don't, if, you don't, if you get that wrong, you'll get hurt and you'll hurt people because it's never been about a stage. The stage is just another stable to serve. I mean, you look at, you look at Joseph. God gave Joseph a great big dream, but then he got sold into slavery got wrongfully accused, thrown in prison, many scholars believe, for about 13 to 15 years. And you know what it said that he did in, in the prison? He served. He served well. So, so well that he was put over the whole deal as a prisoner. You see David on the backside of the wilderness when all of his brothers are lining up because they want a stage. David's not even invited to the party. He's learning how to serve in obscurity, tending his father's sheep when nobody's watching. Just him and God. Like, like there's something that God does on the inside of us, teaching us how, how, how to serve when nobody's watching. King David, even when his brothers were on the battlefield, what did he do? As much as he wanted to be there, he came to bring them lunch. He was the servant. God says, that's a heart I can work with. And we walk all through, what about John the Baptist? Before he came up on the scene, he was a desert wild man. Nobody knew this guy. He freaked people out when he came on the, on the scene. But he had been serving the Lord in obscurity. What about Jesus himself, modeling for the first 30 years of his life? Who knew him? We see that, that his ministry began after that 30-year that mark. I'm sure there was some cool stuff in between. But... We don't know of it. It's obscure. Listen, you've got to learn how to serve God in obscurity. It's never been about how big your ministry is or how small that it is. It doesn't matter how big the task is. We say that, that no task is small here at Fountain Church, that every task matters, that everything we do matters. It doesn't matter if you're on the stage or if you're not. Why? Because what matters is are you faithful and obedient to what God has put in front of you and what God has called you to do in this season. The promotion comes from the Lord, not from us. Learning to serve. Learning to serve. And then the, the last one I want to point out to you here is, is he also was refined in his faith. He needed to be refined in his faith. Faith in a couple of things. The first one is faith in God's timing. Because when you're out in the desert, let's just say 40 years, that's 14,600 days. That's a long time. I wrote the other number on my hand. That's 351, 640,000 hours. <laughs> hours. I'll remember it for next service. 361, 640,000 hours that Moses had to learn the timing of God. How often? We just want God to move, especially today. Come on, let's go. Yeah, about 40. It's going to be about 40 years. But that 40 prepared him to live his latter 40. It was incredible. Now, it's easy to trust God's timing when you're in a Red Sea season. God's answering your prayers. Seas are parting. Plagues are coming. A pillar of, uh, of fire by night. A cloud by day. Manna from heaven. Those seasons are easy to wait on God's timing. 
But Moses also knew how it was to go upon the mountain with God for 40 days. And as everybody on the ground is getting restless and tired and worshiping idols, Moses knows how to wait on the Lord. He, he needed to learn the timing of God. He also needed to understand and be refined in his faith in, in the power of God. Because you got to remember in chapter 2, Moses took center stage. He was the guy. He took things into his own hands, and it didn't work well. He didn't wait on God's timing. He didn't rely on God's provision and God's way. And so we see a completely different Moses in Exodus chapter 15. He begins to sing a song of praise, declaring God part of the sea and God's glory, God's powerful. Moses, God just used you to do all of that, and your focus is on God? He's like, that humility thing's stuck. I know I'm just a servant, and I know that power does not come from my hand. It comes from the Lord. That is a heart that God can trust and use to do great things. And the last one, the last thing I, I, I want to show you is this, is you got to allow the desert, you got to allow the Lord in the desert seasons to move you to face your failures. you got to move in this direction. What, what do I mean by this? You know, God was wanting to use Moses in an extraordinary way. And I don't even think Moses saw the potential in that anymore. Sometimes we have to be open to God moving in our lives in a brand new way. In a way that feels uncomfortable. In a way that's not normative. And, and let, me, let me give you the picture of this. It would have made sense to Moses for God to use him while he was in Egypt because he had so much influence. He had so much power. You know, he, he, I mean, he could speak. Majority of time, majority of people believe that Moses could speak well then. And, 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 you know, it just would have made sense to say, hey, God, why didn't you use me when I was shining? But here I'm, I'm wrestling in my failure. And God says, yeah, I, I want to use you in this season. And Moses is, at this point, God is saying, hey, Moses, um, listen, I've heard the cry of my people. I'm calling you, man. I, I want to use your life. And Moses is like, no, whoa, 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 no, who am I? What are you talking How will I even know that, you know, that you got my back? How will they know that you sent me? Like, I need a sign. And the Lord says, I'm not going to give you a sign. I'm going to give you something else. Look what he says. The Lord looks at him and says this. God answered, I will be with you. Everybody say with you. He said, Moses, that's the first thing you need to realize. I'm going with you. But he says, and this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this very mountain. See, Moses wanted a sign that would cause him to move, but God said, no, your sign is going to be a promise. Like a lot of times we want God to, to give us like these confirmations before we, we move out. But God said, no, not until you trust my promise and move out will you see that my power revealed. And so some of us are stuck because we're waiting. And, and hear me out. I believe in confirmation. I believe in all that stuff. But this is really clear for Moses. God is telling him to go. And he's like, but I just, I mean, how will I know? And, and God says, you're going to know when you take a step of faith and you watch my power move because you will stand on this mountain where we are right now with all my people worshiping. With, with two, three hundred million people. Yep. Yep. Worshiping. But here's the deal. In order for Moses to step into his future, he was going to have to deal with his past. 
in order for him to step and move forward into the future, God was calling him to go back to his place of failure. God was calling him to go back to his place of rejection, to the place of his greatest disappointment. And God is saying, you got to deal with that, Moses. But here's the beautiful thing. I'm going to be with you. Last time you were trying to deal with it on your own. You try to run, you try to hide, you try to bury, you try to, no, but I'm going with you. And, and my power is going to be demonstrated. I know you once felt rejected. You're not going to feel that anymore. They're, they're going to be stubborn and stuff, but I got you. I'm your security. I'm your blanket. I'm your covering. I'm going before you. And Moses got a hold of this principle so deeply that he said, God, unless your presence goes before me, I don't want to go any, anywhere. You got me. See, the problem is, ladies and gentlemen, is when we don't go back to deal with our failure, when we don't face them, many times we get stuck. God is wanting to uproot us, plant us into a brand new season, but we're stuck in an old circumstance. I love this picture. It's a picture of a plant that's been root-bound. And root-bound happens when there's just no soil for the roots to spread out and grow. It normally happens when a, when a plant is inside a pot that's too small. And the roots are trying to break out. And when they can't find any soil and they can't find any room, they just start to come up over the plant. And you can't tell at first, but then eventually they choke it out and it dies. And I think for so many of us, listen, if we're not careful, if we don't deal and face the things of our past. If, if, if we're not going and dealing with those things with the Lord, what ends up happening many times, we stay stuck in this small pot, but you were meant for so much more. And so it's just, oh, just trying to break out of this thing. And, and eventually, because there's frustration and there's pain and there's all that stuff, you've been able to, to, to have it under the surface for a season, but then it starts to creep up, creep up, creep up, and then it starts to manifest in our marriages. It starts to manifest in our relationships. You know, when, when, when Jesus, when we accepted Jesus as our Lord and our Savior, in that moment, you were positionally, positionally righteous, whole, before the Lord, all he sees is the blood of Jesus before the Father. You are positionally secure. But don't get it twisted, my friends. There is still a process of sanctification. There's still a process of God working old things out of us and, and of causing us to really embrace the new life that he's called us to. It's the renewing of the mind that Paul talks about. You cannot bypass this process. If you do, you will be like a plant called for greatness in a small pot. But here's the beauty. Here's the beauty is that Jesus is our soil. He's the soil. See, as we move towards Good Friday, the beautiful thing about Good Friday, what Jesus accomplished on the cross is he has the power to break that pot. He has the power to destroy the works of darkness. He has a power to bring healing, life, and wholeness. Listen, he is the soil that now we're able to, to break free from our past, break free from our failure, get planted in him. As Paul says in Colossians, look what he says. So just then, as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. You were not called to be rooted in a pot. You were called to be rooted in him.
but will you say yes is the question. Moses' season in that wilderness was done. God had a brand new season of life. But in order to do that, he was going to have to look for God in the desert. He was going to have to let the Lord refine him. And he was going to have to go back and face his greatest fears and his greatest failures. And guess what? I bet you if you talk to Moses today, was it worth it, Mo? No eye has seen, no ear has heard. No mind can conceive all that God has prepared for those who love him.